snaps, this shit crazy. Jimmy on a beat, boy. This is the Trophy Room, aka Trophy Room Radio. I am your host, Brett Hammer. Wherever you are on this wonderful Wednesday morning, thank you for making me a part of your day. Coming up, there's a new sheriff in the NBA, and while LeBron James broke the all-time record, people still don't think he's an all-time scorer. Plus, was the celebration last night tasteless? I think so. And are we just days away from one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time? But is Mahomes worse in the Super Bowl than we realize? All of that is coming up. But as you know, it is way too hard to buy quality graphic tees these days. You look it up, all you get is sketchy third-party products on Etsy and eBay. None of it's real. Game Changers is throwing a wrench into all of that. Game Changers is a real company that puts a real quality in the phrase, you get what you pay for. They make high-end quality shirts with all your favorite NBA and NFL teams and players, as well as rappers and other culture icons. If you head over to GameChanger.LA, you can use promo code HAMMERTIME23 for $10 off. That's capital H, HAMMERTIME23 for $10 off. Fun fact, they literally just released a shirt this morning for LeBron James becoming the all-time leading scoring in the NBA. So if you want to go check that out, cop that today, you can go ahead and do that. Speaking of coming up... We are sponsored by the good people over at Jim Kenny. So head over to JimKennyGummies.com as well as their socials on Instagram and TikTok. Go and test out the work product that is revolutionizing the pre-workout market. Also, go ahead and give me a follow on Instagram and TikTok at BHammerTime with an extra E. B, letter B, HammerTime with two E's instead of one. Um... Uh, shoot me a message, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't. Leave me a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're at. Screenshot me, post me on your story, send me to your friends, whatever you want to do. Show that, sh- shout outs. I'm a little bit of a mess this morning. And uh, I didn't really realize that I would be until... We'll get to LeBron James, don't worry. But I do want to do this first. I feel like every now and then you guys get a life update from me and i figured why why stop there why not keep it rolling um so the shout out i guess goes to all of you guys because a, a, a lot of you probably don't know but if you go and look at the bottom if you're on apple i don't know how it works on spotify but if you go and scroll to the bottom it'll uh it'll tell you what episode you're on and i don't know why i'm getting so emotional right now but it'll tell you what episode you're on. And today is actually episode 100, which is really cool for a lot of reasons. The first one being that it just shows like the consistency, the the diligence, the dedication, obviously. But what a lot of you guys might not know is that this whole show started... This is deep for a couple reasons. The first one is uh, when I first moved to Utah, um, I definitely felt a little bit alone. And it was during COVID. And so there wasn't a whole lot to do. And I didn't know a whole lot of people. And so sometimes what I would do is I would get in my car and I would drive up to this hill. And I would just sit and look at this beautiful building. Um, It was a temple this beautiful building, I would just sit there and I would just look at it. Sometimes I would talk, sometimes I'd just sit and be quiet. But I would just sit there by myself. And 
one day, and I was also working construction at the time. That I think, or not construction, but I was working landscaping, and that was awful. Because, <laughs> you know, I was just trying to grind, make some money to pay for school and rent and food and all that fun stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm making some money. What if I go and buy a microphone? So I went. I bought this microphone that we're using right here, this Blue Yeti. And it had a different stand than it has now. Really cool stand, actually. But it was just like a flat stand. And so I'd put it on the console in my car. And I would just start talking. And uh, I think the first thing I ever did, it was, I believe it was Kobe Bryant being inducted into the National Basketball, or the, the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. And I talked for 20 minutes about Vanessa Bryant and how, how strong and how tough of a woman she was to be a single mom and all that fun stuff. Little did I know that that, that would hit close to home for me not too much later. Um, and then that progressed to me starting trying to start a podcast and didn't really work out. And then we ended up going to do the whole thing with the Mench Sports Network. And uh, it was cool because... I worked at the bench doing shows for them every day from 9 to 10 Eastern, I want to say. Maybe it was, I don't remember. But my dad got to listen to those shows. And it was cool just to like talk to him and get his perspective on what he thought I was doing and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, got a real job working for BYU TV. And so I couldn't do the podcast every single morning. And... Then my dad passed away. And that's probably where this show should have stopped. And again, you guys will always hear me give the biggest shout outs to Jackson. Because Jackson did so much for the show. And Jackson agreed to just keep it rolling with me. He never made me talk about my dad. And while I was just sitting there at home doing nothing. Dealing with it. <laughs> but... This whole show, I mean, A, has obviously just been to get me reps, to to get me more comfortable sitting down and talking in a microphone in my room by my lonesome because you got to get practice somewhere. Obviously, a lot of it, it didn't start out always maybe with the the intent to entertain, honestly, when I was sitting at home, uh, 2021, dealing with the passing of my dad, it wasn't for you. It was for me. Um, it was just to sit there and not get to spend an hour not thinking about what was going on in my life. And I realized that my whole goal in doing this, my whole goal in this career is for an hour, for whatever's going on in your life, good, bad, whatever, this is an hour just to get away and forget what's going on and just to breathe. And it's okay to be away. And so it's cool because this show should have died several times. Should have died after we left the bench. Should have died after my dad passed away. Should have died between the three different co-hosts that I've had. And every single time we found a way to keep going. And we have made it all the way to episode 100. I never thought that we would be at a point where um, we're actually like, raking in somewhat decent money I'm, I'm not living off of the money i make from this podcast but i was really surprised to see how much money i got from uh game changers last month which is all thanks to you guys and um you guys supporting me that way basically obviously 
get a really dope shirt out of it. But as far as shout-outs go, I know this has been a six-minute shout-out, but I just wanted to say thank you. I started crying before I even did the show today just because this whole thing has just been a letter to him, to my dad. And uh, it's just cool to think about where we started, buying that mic sitting in my car at the top of the hill. And uh, we still don't have a studio, but this is a little bit better than inside my car. And so thank you to every single one of you for whether it's Mikey, Andy, all of my super fans who, uh, Isaac Tsao, y'all who just roll with me every single week and send me texts and updates and what you like and what you didn't like. And those of you who I don't know, I've never met you, never even heard of you. However you found this, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And, uh, I pray that I can do the best job that I can to entertain and distract you for, Whatever it is that you need to get away from today. So thank you. Today is episode 100. And that's incredible. Alrighty. So let's get to the story. So we got a couple of different ways of looking like this. Right? Last night, if you didn't know, LeBron James needed 36 points to go ahead and beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer in the National Basketball Association. Needed 36 points. The first quarter was a little rough. I I was watching the game. I thought, you know what? I'm not sure that he's going to break this because it was a slow start. You could tell from, from the jump. He did two pretty tough drives and missed on both of them, didn't get the fouls. And you could tell that the Oklahoma City Thunder were saying, you might get the record, but it will not be on our watch. They were doing everything they could. At one point, they were just double-teaming him and letting him kick to other guys because they're like, look, we don't care if y'all beat us, but you're not beating the record on our head. And obviously, LeBron James went ahead, got it, beat the scoring record, scored his 36 point on a classic, iconic LeBron fadeaway from mid-range, a little spin around, hit the 36-point mark with 10 seconds left to go in the third. So first off, before we say anything else, before we get into what this has to do with Michael Jordan, what has to do with Kareem, what has to do with his legacy, this, that, and the other thing, before we do any of that, let's just say thank you, LeBron, and congratulations. Because however you feel about him, I realized this a couple of years ago. I was living in Canada. I said, hey, mom, can you send me a LeBron James Lakers shirt? This one, he had just moved to L.A. Because for some reason, I don't know what it was, but I realized that I'd spent so much of my childhood hating and disrespecting LeBron James. And just the first thing that the tag that came with his name was, well, he's not the go, so it doesn't matter. And I think a lot of kids were raised that way. Good old kids who were raised by wholesome parents who raised them on the values of loving Michael Jordan at all costs. But LeBron is okay to have some respect. Because as soon as I started to change my mindset about that, I realized LeBron James is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And then I could accept that and it wouldn't turn me to ashes. And on top of that, it's okay for some people to call him the GOAT. It's not out of the question. It's not like calling Tony Parker the GOAT. LeBron James has earned the right to not only 
move into that conversation, but to openly be in that conversation. The way I look at it now is I don't hate people who think LeBron's the GOAT. I respect that. I, LeBron Jordan is my GOAT. It's 1A and 1B to me. It just depends on how you were raised. I really do believe that. Who you believe the GOAT is completely depends Utterly only depends. It doesn't have to do with statistics, facts, sentiments. It just has to do with how were you raised. You were either really raised a Jordan lover, a Braun hater, or vice versa. And the reason that I that I changed my tune on that is because if you watch LeBron from a strict basketball perspective, you realize that LeBron James maybe is the greatest athlete to ever walk planet Earth, but he's the most unstoppable force that we have ever seen, maybe in all sports, definitely in basketball. And we spent too, some of us spent too much of our lives disrespecting him. Now, I, I get why some Lakers fans are upset with him. My boy Brandon Walker, not Brandon Walker, but my my boss, B-Dog at work, he hates LeBron, but he's from California, he's from SoCal, he's like a real like he, he, he's the kind of guy who he, he walks across through his life with a tattoo on his chest that says staple center, the house that Shaq and Kobe built. He's got a big Kobe sign, staple center sign up in his office. Uh, so Lakers fans, I get it. But regardless of how you feel about LeBron James, he is the all time scorer in basketball history. So then I sit and I wonder, okay, well, if he's the all-time leading scorer, or we knew he was 36 points away, how are there still people who are going to sit around and tell me that LeBron James is not an all-time scorer? Think about that. There are people who try and convince you that LeBron James is not an all-time scorer. That's interesting. And this, this is their go-to argument, by the way. They'll say, oh, well, he played longer than anyone else, so of course he's going to score more points. I just want you to ponder for a moment the stupidity of that statement because that's usually the go-to when people say, try to discredit LeBron James being an all-time scorer. He played longer and better than anyone else at that age. That's why he did it. This is why excuses are like buttholes. Everybody has them. They're so dumb. A lot of the time. LeBron James has the highest career average in his time with the Cavs the first time, then the Miami Heat, and now the Los Angeles Lakers. He also has the fifth highest career scoring average per season. Fifth highest, okay? He's point zero one six points and point six points behind number three and number four on the career scoring average list. So he's basically tied at third. The only people ahead of him are Will Chamberlain and Michael Jordan. And Will, as much as we love Will, Will is a historic legend icon. We want to talk about whose points count or count most. Love Will. 
Well, it was like playing a video game with all the sliders to 99. We won't discredit him for that, but also we won't act like he was playing on all-star mode. That's all I'm saying. If you don't think that LeBron James is an all-time scorer, I genuinely mean this. You may need to go to your local Instacare, uh, hospital, emergency room, whatever, because you, you need a blood test for Skip Bayless syndrome. Because even Skip last night was giving LeBron credit, giving him credit this morning. I watched Undisputed. LeBron James, take it or leave it, but it's the truth, is the greatest scorer in the history of the National Basketball Association. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that that record will ever be touched again. And that's again that that's what we said about Kareem. So I, I'm open to the idea of being wrong. I just don't see it happening because with Michael, we had Kobe on the come up. And with Kobe, we had LeBron on the come up. We had these guys who were like, okay, they're the chosen one. Who's the next one? It might be a few years before we get another chosen one. And that's okay. We can live. We can all learn to be happy and accepting of LeBron James and what he did for the history of basketball, what he did for the history of sports in the same way that kids now and kids like me say, I wish I would have been conscious. I wish I would have been around to watch Michael Jordan in the nineties. Kids in 10 years from now are going to ask us about LeBron James to them. He he will be to them what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is to me. I didn't see Kareem play. Not even close. Kids are going to feel like that about LeBron James. And I think it's just time that we accept that, that we say thank you, and that we give LeBron his props. Because what he's done has been absolutely unprecedented. And regardless of how you feel about the man, you have to respect history. Okay, I'm glad I got that all the way because if you saw my Instagram story, if you were in the Meatheads group chat with some of my friends, you know how I felt about last night. Two things can be true. LeBron James can be an absolute phenomenon and I can be pissed about how last night went down. Last night was tasteless and it was classless and here's why. Do you remember what happened when Steph Curry broke the all-time three-pointers record? Number one, all-time three-pointers record. Uh, Well, I'm going to be willing to bet that a lot of you don't. You know why? Because we didn't stop the middle of the game to have a video celebration to have Drake's corny AF video to rush the court, to do all of this when there was 10 seconds left in the quarter before you could have got to a break. We stopped the entire game. And I just think that is the house that Kobe and Shaq built. I don't think either one of those guys would have stopped the entire arena, stopped the entire game. Because here's the thing to me. You know the way... Maybe some teams would have been different. 
But the Thunder were trying to win that game. They had no intention of letting up or letting LeBron win. You stop the entire game, put on this whole little parade, song and dance, while there was 10 seconds left to go in the quarter, and there was another team who you had to sit and make weight on you. But my issue with it, again, you heard my old spiel to open the show. I am so grateful for what LeBron James has done. He's the greatest driver of the basketball we've ever seen. He's one of the greatest scorers of all time. He's the GOAT to some, and I don't disrespect it. But last night was tasteless. The whole thing felt like, I love everyone worshiping me. And while you might be a king symbolically and a king within the context of the game, you are not a person that we worship. And I feel like, again, we can support what he did. And I do. But we stopped the entire game to bring people onto the court. Do you realize that in, we've, we've seen this in football before where people rush the field too early? Or even in basketball, rush the court too early and we push the refs say, no, 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 we still have the rest of the game to play. I get that it's a game. I get that it's entertainment. But to me, LeBron loved all the attention way too much. It felt like it was less about LeBron cementing his place in history and more about, look how many people are here to see and celebrate me. Because it didn't even really feel like he was playing the game. It felt like you were playing Lego Star Wars or Lego Batman and you're trying to beat the mission. And you have that one friend who's trying to do all of the side stuff on his own or just collect all of the coins. It's like, bro, let's play the game and we'll figure out everything else later. LeBron James didn't really feel like he had any interest in playing the game. And I'm not discrediting him for that. Obviously, you're trying to go for the record. No disrespect at all. But I did not at all feel like that that, that that was about the game. And to be honest, the reason the reason we play the well, we play sorry. We score points to win the game. It's not the other way around. We don't play the game to score points. We score points to win the game. The objective is to win. The objective is not to score points. And with LeBron last night, it did it it didn't feel like they had any intention of trying to win that game. It just felt like he was trying to get everybody in their seat so they could celebrate his birthday party. It felt a little childlike. But also, I want to give the Thunder all of the props in the entire world. Because that's a young team. It's a team that you rarely get to see on national television just because Oklahoma City, not a huge market, and for some reason, the television markets, or the the these big uh, broadcasting companies don't see Shea Gilgis Alexander as a big enough draw. And I'll be honest with you, for last night, I'd never watched a full Shea Gilgis Alexander game. That kid is good. That kid deserves to be an all-star. And he deserves way more credit than any of us give him. I love how hard nosed the Thunder played last night. They had no intention of letting the Lakers win that game, and they didn't. And to me, like that would sting a little bit. If I'm LeBron, we can't even beat the Thunder at home on the night when I'm trying to go for the record. 
And I and I I get that you gave up all of your energy in quarters two and three to get that scoring title. But it would still really frustrate me because again, we score points to win the game, not the other way around. I saw this tweet last night and it said, uh, the Thunder didn't get the script that they're the Washington Generals tonight. Which was so funny. Like the the script was just that they're supposed to lay down and let LeBron run and they didn't. And and I'm I'm glad they didn't because they don't owe LeBron that. They can respect him, but they don't owe him that. All right. Super Bowl preview. There are a lot of different ways to look at this. And I don't really know the best way to go through it other than let's start here. I am the worst gambler in the entire world. Do you know how I know that? Because I've never gambled. I've I, Listen, I know that sports betting is not legal in Utah, but it is legal in Vegas, which I've been to more than two times. I've been, to, I've been there a couple times, and it's legal back home in Pennsylvania where I'm from. So I've gotten on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. I've done the promos, and I've just never been able to lay money down because I'm so indecisive. Which I realize, maybe not the most intelligent thing to say as a sportscaster, but that's, I just say all that to say I have no idea. Well, that's not true. I know I am indecisive. Nick Saban in Alabama ruined predicting for me because now when I predict games, I look at it from two different perspectives. What does my heart want to happen? But what does my brain realistically think will happen? And you know what my brain always does? It always picks against what I want to happen. So here's what I want to happen. I want Fly Eagles Fly. I want Jalen Hurts to go out there and win the Super Bowl. But because my heart wants that and my heart is so scarred from losing to Alabama, my brain immediately picks the opposite of what my heart wants to happen, which is why my head is telling me the Chiefs probably win this game. I just also think there are people in sports that you just never bet against. I think Ohio State was that way for a long time. I think Nick Saban still is that way. I think LeBron James was that way a long time in his prime. Like There are just certain things that you can't bet on them to not happen because they probably will. And I feel like Patrick Mahomes is moving into that category. Because even without a left and a right tackle against the Bucs and the best events in the league that season and against the GOAT, he still found a way to make highlights out of absolutely nothing. Which is why I look at this game and I say, look, statistically, the Eagles should win the game, but I'm not so sure. So here's the deal. A couple different ways to look at this. The last time the Eagles and the Chiefs play was last season. Jalen Hurts threw for 387 yards and three touchdowns. Jalen Hurts went off. And the Eagles were 1-3 and three at that point. They were not a good football team. The other way to look at this is Mahomes actually hasn't played great in the Super Bowl. Now you could say last year was an, or the, the last one was an anomaly. Maybe. But also, 
it, it, he, if you remember, we all remember them winning the Super Bowl, but Patrick Mahomes didn't play incredible in that Super Bowl either. He didn't play Hall of Fame-like. He didn't play Tom Brady-like. He didn't play great in the Super Bowl. Two touchdowns, just as many interceptions, didn't hit 300 yards. Passed for 60 more yards than Jimmy Garoppolo and one more touchdown. So, and he, he completed 26 for 42. So, not great. The other way we can look at this, but you didn't know this stat. The last six times that the single that the season passing leader made the Super Bowl, guess how many times they've won the Super Bowl? Zero. The last six season passing leaders to make the Super Bowl have all lost. Patrick Mahomes this year is one of them. That's a little scary. Okay? I did research. Tight ends against the Eagles. On average, they're averaging four catches for 20 yards individually. That's what they give up to tight ends individually. So let's say, let's just go ahead and say that Travis Kelsey went ahead and tripled that. So we went for 12 catches for 60 yards. Again, Travis Kelsey, I'm not arguing, is going to show up and the Eagles defense is going to lock him down. We talked about this a little last week. We all know Travis Kelsey is going to be the X Factor. Here's the funny part, though. Kansas City. See if I can find the stat. Oh, okay. Patrick Holmes has distributed the ball across his receiving cord to no receive and no receiver has accounted for more than 26% of the yards through the air. And do you know who 26% is? That would be one Marquez Valdez-Scantling. It's not Tyreek Hill. It's not Travis Kelsey. MVS has 26% of the Chiefs air yards this season. So then you look at it and say, okay, they don't have Tyreek Hill. It's not going to be a problem. Because neither him or Travis Kelsey make up the majority or the the greatest piece of the pie of their yards. Interesting. So then how is this gonna game going to go down? So if we're going to get the ball to the outside. Um, give it to me. Darius Slay, James Bradbury this season. 0.7 yards per coverage snap. That's the lowest in the NFL. That's a pretty dynamic tag team right there. I forgot to mention this. Remember I told you? Eagles usually give up to sink to tight ends individually around four catches for around 20 yards. I'm, I'm not even making this up. I did my research. I'm not just saying this because of the statistic. Last time Kelsey played the Eagles, 2020, uh, 2021 to 2022, four catches, 23 yards. And that was a worse Eagles defense than we have now. Here's the other fun thing. We want to talk about the Eagles defense. Or, sorry, the Chiefs defense. They have the number one 
pass rush win rate with uh, Chris Jones. Sorry. Chiefs are the number one team in pass block win rate. The Eagles are the number one team in pass rush win rate, which we know it was going to be the incredible pass rush of this Eagles defense, but number one on number one is kind of wild. Here's where things get fun because you want to talk about going down and scoring the football. Uh, the Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey's mom predicted this on her podcast a couple days ago. She said that she thinks this is going to be a super high-scoring Super Bowl. Now, I think she said that because she wants both of her sons to play well, which I love and respect. Kansas City has a lot of touchdown on 67.3% of opponent trips inside the 20-yard line in the season. That's 31st in the league. They were the only team in the bottom six of that statistic to make the playoffs. This is where things get fun because on the other side of that spectrum, Philadelphia's offense, they've scored touchdowns on 67.8% of red zone trips. That's third in the league. So, you get to the 20-yard line, the Chiefs' off defense is wide A open, second worst in the league, and Philadelphia is third best in the league. So it is going to be like a hot knife through butter if the Eagles get to the red zone. So obviously we know the Eagles, 70 sacks in the regular season, 12.6% of their snaps resulted in a snap, in a pass attempts resulted in a sack. Kansas City has played two teams that ranked in the top 10 in uh, sack rate this season. Funny enough, number seven was Seattle and number eight was Indiana, Indianapolis. Seattle lost 24-10, pretty close game, and the Colts beat the Chiefs. So needless to say, the pass rush is going to have an effect, and Patrick Holmes was completely healthy. Again, it does. it's not a huge deal if Holmes isn't 100% healthy if it's against 99% of the teams in the league, but when you got one of the best pass rushes of all time, you better believe that that's going to lay quite the hit. All of this is to say, if I was a gambling man, I hope that I'm wrong. But tell me there's not a part of you that doesn't look at this and you get a little bit of the magic that Bill Belichick used to sprinkle on all of his teams. That for some reason, you're just getting a whiff Somehow, some way, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey are going to find a way to pull this one out. It doesn't make any sense. Statistics really don't support it. But for some reason, I think we will see Mahomes magic in the Super Bowl. I hope not. I hope the Eagles win it. But you can't tell me this game is going to be a blowout either way. It might be a shootout. It's not a blowout. If I'm a gambling man, you're going to give me... Mahomes as the underdog, give it to me. Chiefs win 38-34. All right, well, if you didn't know, the NFL honors are this week, which 
I think a lot of people don't watch for some reason. I think they're actually really cool. I started watching two years ago. I think they're fun because they usually have somebody like Keegan-Michael Key hosts, and it's a lot more tasteful. Everything is, but specifically NFL honors, more tasteful than the NBA in their awards. So here are my guesses. I'm pretty. I'm going. I, I like. I, I'm pretty much going chalk with all of this. But let me pull my predictions up. Okay, MVP. Give me one. Patrick Mahomes. He's the NFL passing leader. Josh Allen didn't do enough to win the MVP at the end of the year, and Tua was in the in the hunt, but he didn't really do it either. And I I want. Jalen Hurts to win it, but I just don't know that they will because I think they'll argue his team is too good. So, Mahomes, 67% completion, 5,250 yards, 41 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. All of that without Tyreek Hill, the guy who they said made Patrick Mahomes. Coach of the year. It's so hard to pick. Because I pretty much spent the whole year telling you it should be Kyle Shanahan, but it's going to be Brian Dable. But I really do think the committee is going to look, or these voters are going to look at Kyle Shanahan and say, yeah, Brock Purdy might have been decent, but Brock Purdy did, uh, Kyle Shanahan did more than what Brock Purdy did. So I think I'm going to switch it up last minute. I'm saying Kyle Shanahan's winning coach of the year over Brian Dable. Comeback player of the year. That is going to go to one Seahawks quarterback, Geno Smith. Andy, there you go. Here's what people don't realize. He completed 70% of his passes for 4,280 yards. He was top five in passing yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. They somehow struggled to move the football. Didn't really understand that. But... Gino is going to be your comeback player of the year because I don't think anyone thought that he was even going to be the starter this year, let alone play this well. Offense player of the year. I wish it was easier for not for skill players to win Heisman and MVP. It's just not, which it sucks, but at least we have an offensive player of the year to give away to that player. That is going to go to one Justin Jefferson, 128 receptions, 1,800 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns. I mean, obviously, you want to see the touchdowns go up, but 1,800 yards is stupid. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he breaks the, the receiving record here soon. Defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. It'll be cool to see Nick Bosa get it because then you also, I feel like a little bit, you get to give it to the best defensive player, deservedly so, and the best defense so that they can get rewarded for that as well. I mean, 18 and a half sacks, absolutely incredible. Offensive Rookie of the Year, that's going to go to Garrett Wilson. I know a lot of people probably, this this award this year felt kind of weird because I felt like the defense, as far as rookies go, was more prominent than the offense. I, yeah, we had, we had Kenneth Walker, who was decent. We had... Uh, Brees Hall until he went down. But Garrett Wilson's probably going to get it. 83 catches, 1,100 yards, four touchdowns. And then defensive rookie of the year. The Jets are going to sweep rookies of the year, which 
how good was the Jets draft this year? I, I We knew it was going to be good. We didn't know it was going to be game-changing, and a lot of that was because of what Robert Salon, what he did. But Sauce Gardner, we all thought that he was going to be a scrub because he came from Cincinnati, and he went ahead and proved all of us wrong. All right. So there's your NFL honors. Um, Let's hit this really quick. So Stephen A. Smith is reporting that potentially, and there's a lot of news just that's coming out while we've been recording. He said, quote, Stephen A., I'm hearing that Durant's on the verge of potentially being moved out as we've all been speculating about that, that he may be moved. On the phone, I'm hearing Boston has been making some calls. Keep your eye on that. Jalen Brown, keep your eye on that. The only thing that I think would be really fun about this is if KD went to Kyrie's former team and did what Kyrie couldn't. I mean, how much of us, how many of us would be shocked? Because again, I think it would just go to speak to, uh, you know what Kyrie is? You know how every, a lot of supervillains will have their little small sidekick, their little munchkin or whatever you want, a little minion sidekick or whatever. That's what I feel like Kyrie Irving is. And he's always like, that little minion is always uh, partially jealous, partially looking up to the supervillain saying, I want to be just like you, even though I know that I can't. I feel like that's always how it's been with Kyrie Irving. He's always secretly held a vendetta against his supervillain mentor, but he's always known that he's been not big enough to take over Metropolis on his own. It would be so funny to watch Kevin Durant go to Boston. I don't know. Then you get, but anyway, it would be fun because it would be a little bit of a slap in the face to Kyrie Irving. The thing is. I do think it makes sense for the Nets to move Kevin Durant, and this is why. I think there's still so much bad juju in the building hanging over from the scandalous actions that got Kyrie, Harden, and KD all together in the first place. And I think you need to just rid the building of all of it. And I think that means getting rid of Kevin Durant. Because I don't know that Kevin Durant wants to be there by himself. I think he will be decent about it. I think he'll be a good guy about it. But I, I do think you need to get out and you need to figure out who are you without these guys. You need to go out and do it on your own. So if I'm Brooklyn, I think it makes sense to get rid of him. Yeah, it sucks. You're going to have to take a couple steps back to take steps forward. But I just think it's like it's like when you break up with somebody, you just – you don't wear your ex's sweatshirt or keep your ex's whatever. You got to get rid of it. Go find, go be you by yourself. Supposedly, Kevin Durant still wants to go to Phoenix. Uh, a lot of teams are calling Brooklyn per Woj, but the Nets don't want to trade him. Then There was an offer on the table for Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. Nets decided not to take it. The Nets also had an offer from Phoenix over the seat over the offseason, which is where Kevin Durant wanted to go and why we know he still wants to go there. I'm not sure if you're Boston, you want Stephen A. leaking 
that Jalen Brown is in talks to be traded, especially when that team is doing so well, considering they lost their coach before the season even started. But it is what it is. So look for, again, it doesn't sound like Kevin Durant is going to be moved, but supposedly he wants to be, and I understand. And if I'm if I'm a Nets executive, I say, look, dude, we just got to get him out because we got to be who are, we got to be who we are on our own. Um, Kyrie Irving. So reportedly, Kyrie Irving was the first one to show up to practice yesterday. So the question is, does Kyrie Irving being the first one to show up to practice does that change how you see things with him? Um, zero percent. Because I've I've been on this train for a while now. The hallmark of people who believe that the grass is always greener is that most times, unless they get sent to somewhere that they know sucked beforehand, once they get there, they're usually a good soldier. Because they not because they're somewhere different, but because they were they're not where they were. And it's always easy to look back at that place and say, I hated that before you move on to saying, I'm hating here and I want to go somewhere else. Trying to work out a new start, that is always a hallmark of people who live under the mentality, the grass is always greener. And Kyrie Irving is king supervillain joker of the grass is always greener. Guess what? It wasn't greener in Boston. Guess what? It wasn't greener in Brooklyn. Guess what? It's not going to be greener in Dallas because Kyrie Irving is going to realize the fans will never love him the way that they love Luka Doncic. And as soon as he realizes that, he's going to be pissed and he's going to want out. And then that won't take very long because you already gave everything for a guy who is a free agent at the end of the year. So there's a Brady and Belichick story that I I bet a lot of you missed because I missed it. I don't know how the only reason this wasn't breaking news, this wasn't shocking the world, was because LeBron James broke the scoring title last night. We already talked about Tom Brady's retirement. And the Super Bowl is on Sunday. We've got some interesting news from this Let's Go podcast over the past couple weeks. Guess who was on the Let's Go podcast? That would be one Bill Belichick. And they talked about their relationship. This is what they had to say. Belichick said, quote, The greatest player, the greatest career, the great, great person. It was such an opportunity and an honor for me to coach Tom. I guess it's got to end at some point. It's the greatest one ever. Congratulations, Tom. So then Brady responded that he appreciated it. Um, And then Jim Gray asked Belichick, or asked what Belichick did to get the most out of Brady. And Brady said, quote, I think it's more. What did he not do? He said, quote, for me, there's nobody I'd rather be associated with. From my standpoint, I think it's always a stupid conversation to say Brady versus Belichick because in my mind, that's not what a partnership is about.
Robert Kraft also said that he wants Tom Brady to sign a one-day contract to retire with the Patriots, which I think would be super cool. But the point is this. When you look at two people who are the greatest of all time in different positions, it is so hard to tear them apart and to split them up. Because people want to say, well, would Brady be what he was without Belichick? And people say the same thing. Would Belichick be what he was without Brady? I say the same thing. Would would Andy Reid, we knew Andy Reid was great. We knew what he was capable of. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes. We knew Patrick Mahomes was talented. But both of them, Andy Reid needed someone who could run his creative system and not be stuck to the pocket and be the best improviser we've ever seen. Patrick Mahomes needed a coach who would let him run wild and play wild, wild west football. Both of those things happened. That's what marriage is, people. Marriage is I you do what I can't and I do what you can't and we fill the holes and we take over the world together. That's what partnership is. And I've always thought the Brady Belichick conversation was stupid. Because guess what? Belichick primarily was a defense guy. I'm not saying he couldn't coach offense, but they both filled holes well. And saying Brady or Belichick is one of the dumbest things in the world, because guess what? Who cares? We believe that Belichick is maybe the greatest football coach of all time, and we definitely believe that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. So why does it matter who made who? Here's the secret. Ready for it? It doesn't. It's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. And fortunately enough, Tom Brady has also come out and agreed with that. <clears throat> um, here's your your daily weird Aaron Rodgers story. So Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, the day before. I, I'm starting to believe that maybe Aaron Rodgers doesn't actually believe anything that he says and that he just makes stuff up because he knows that we'll get a hold of it and because it seems like every week he has something new on the Pat McAfee show to top what he said last week. So first off, Pat McAfee asked him if it was a foregone conclusion that he was playing football next year. He said it's not. He said he's not sure. He said he hasn't decided. He hasn't gotten to that part in the process. Okay. So then they asked him what he's doing to decide. And he said he's going on a darkness retreat. Yes. This is just ayahuasca next level. So a darkness retreat. I'd like to say it's just what it sounds like, but to me it sounded like prison when I heard him describe it in the video yesterday. But basically, you go to this little hut in the middle of nowhere. All of the light is blocked out. There's a little slit in the door where he said they can pass you food, they can pass you water, all this other stuff, and you sit in this room by yourself, no sound, no books, no light, no anything, for four straight days. I, I haven't done the research on this, but I'm pretty sure that's a form of torture. I, like, I'm pretty sure they used to do that. Someone did. Because what I've heard about that much darkness 
and that much lack of noise, once you get back into the world, isn't it kind of like an overload to your senses? Now, supposedly this is this retreat. Uh, I mean, you look up a dark retreat and there's all kinds of places you can go do it. I guess it, it, it from what I read, it looked like it was connected to uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Either way, this sounds like prison. You go and sit in a room in a little hut in the middle of nowhere, and there's a slit on the door where they can slide you food and such, and you're just in there by yourself. They have that in prison. It's called the hole. It's called solitary confinement. And I'm starting to wonder if anything that Aaron Rodgers says is true. Definitely a hippie. I just was a little thrown off with that story. All right, last one. This one's not even that crazy. But I just love when people give up, get up this idea that hindsight is not 2020 and life is 2020. We can all see everything. So Steve Smith that came out and said this on his podcast, he said, quote, Brock Purdy has shown us he can play in this league, but we've got other first round draft picks who's shown us that they can't play in this league. True. Who get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Has Zach Wilson shown us in two years what Brock Purdy's shown us in seven games? How did that happen? It happened because scouts are scared. He's not the right height. He's not the right size. He's not at the right school. He's a third-round pick. First-round draft picks that again and again and again cannot play in the National Football League because... The scouts are lazy. Interesting. So, call me crazy, but I don't remember Steve Smith coming out and saying, oh, you know what the 49ers need to do if they want to get to a to an NFC Championship game? They need to bench Jimmy Garoppolo. They need to bench Trey Lance. They need to go and take this seventh round graded guy and draft him in the first round with the number one overall pick because he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks you've ever seen. So he says that scouts are scared and they don't draft guys because they're not the right height and they're not the right size. Now, I think part of that is because Steve Smith has a Baker Mayfield sized chip on his shoulder. He just ended up being way better at his position than Baker Mayfield was at his, but Steve Smith, I think, is just always going to be ingrained and be upset about the fact that people said he was too small. And Steve Smith proved everyone wrong. He was an incredible receiver for a bunch of different teams in the NFL. Receiver is a little bit different than quarterback. And the list of quarterbacks that have been that good at Brock Purdy's size is very slim. Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, maybe Brock Purdy. But look at Russell Wilson. Where was Russell Wilson drafted? To the Seahawks, who at the time had Marshawn Lynch, Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Kearse, a bunch of other dudes on the offense, and then one of the greatest defenses of all time, which means you got more opportunities than anyone else to go down and score the football. Drew Brees, one of the most accurate passers of all time. And then you have Brock Purdy. Look, 
I am one of the biggest Zach Wilson doubters in the entire world. But I promise you, if Zach Wilson was drafted to Kyle Shanahan with Kittle, with Debo, with Trent Williams, with Brandon Ayuk, with Christian McCaffrey. Now, I think Brock Purdy would still be better. But I don't think you would say, yeah, Zach Wilson can't play. You'd say he maybe runs around and plays a little too much cowboy football. But we wouldn't be sitting here saying, yeah, Zach Wilson can't play. If Brock Purdy went to the Jets, you're telling me he's not going to be pretty similar to Mike White? Just saying. We know Zach Wilson can't play. I agree with that. But to say that scouts are lazy and scouts are afraid, here's the deal. Scouts make their entire living and career based on guys they tell the team to pick and how those guys pan out. So yeah, it's a pretty big risk to go for a guy who's that small, comes from Iowa State, because you have no idea how he's going to turn out. All you can say is, I know how Baker Mayfield turned out and know how Johnny Menzel turned out. Now, Brock has a better attitude and emotional stability than both of those guys. But the physicals are still the same. And I hate when people critique other people's jobs saying that it's so easy. Your whole job as a scout is dependent on what other people do. You are not in control of the success of your job. Really. It's a lot of analytics mixed with a little bit of gambling. That's what it means to be a scout. Because even once a guy gets to the league, no matter how talented he is, we all knew that one kid in high school, more talented than anyone else but he couldn't put it on on the field because it couldn't get on the field. All right, guys, we finished it under an hour. Thank you so much for hanging out. Enjoyed the Super Bowl. I had a Philly cheesesteak yesterday, so I'm prepped for it. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for getting us to episode 100. I appreciate every single one of you, wherever you are across this country, whether it's Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you're listening to this, I really appreciate it. Go tell your friends about it. And, uh, Have a good rest of your week. Cheers. Whoa.